Welcome to episode 13 of the Obsangani Quick Care Podcast. Hi everyone, my name is Roger Browning. I'm an anaesthetist working in a tertiary women's hospital in Western Australia. This podcast is devoted to the discussion of anaesthesia, pain, critical care and related topics involved in the care of sick obstetric and gynecological patients. I hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts as much as I've enjoyed putting them together. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, welcome back to um, part B of um, episode 5 in the mini tutorial series of patient blood management and obstetrics and gynecology. Uh, in this uh, discussion, we're going to focus on the intraoperative and intrapartum strategies relating to anaesthetic pharmacological or coagulation management that we can use to try and minimise blood loss. So that means in uh, translation into plain English. So the things that we can do as an anaesthetist we're, or um, um, doctor involved in the care of these patients um, to try and minimise bleeding by altering the anaesthetic, giving some drugs and making sure that they're not coagulopathic. This is um, ref the um, pillar two of patient blood management. All right, so let's um, delve down briefly into the um, anaesthetic um, techniques that uh, are important to manage bleeding. Um, so I'm going to sort of um, talk about uh, body temperature first. So why is hypothermia an important issue? Um, so when patient is hypothermic, then their blood doesn't clot properly. So hypothermia can lead to um, more bleeding and uh, there's lots of other f um, physiological derangements which can occur. But the main, the main reason is because it um, can encourage bleeding. So we do a lot of things to try and avoid hypothermia. Um, and so anaesthetists, uh, this is just revision for those of you who are anaesthetists. For those of you who aren't anaesthetists, this will help explain why we do all these... Um, uh, put a lot of energy and do all these activities um, which you maybe what used to or have in the past wondered about why we're spending so much time on. So the sort of things that we do, um, we put on forced air warmers, you know the bear hugger is the classic one, um, which um, blows hot air on the patient try and keep them warm. We make sure that um, we have our fancy um, uh, fluid warming devices hooked up. This is especially important when we're giving blood and blood products because these all come from a fridge or are uh, frozen and then thawed so they're extremely cold and if we don't warm those we'll, we'll really make a patient hypothermic quite quickly. And sometimes we even turn up the temperature in the theatre to the dismay of all those people who are gowned up and then start sweating. So all these things are used to try and minimise hypothermia. Um, okay, what about blood pressure? How, how should we manage the blood pressure um, during, so, um, during a procedure, i.e. surgery or obstetric hemorrhage? You know, um, this is um, something that is quite a lot of under the control of the anaesthetist, especially when they're under a general anaesthetic. All of our anaesthetic agents tend to lower the blood pressure, and so we have some control over that. And we often uh, administer vasoconstrictor drugs like metaraminol, noradrenaline, and phenylephrine to um, raise the blood pressure. So we can have, um, to some degree, control the blood pressure and aim for a set point. Um, so 
what is the correct strategy? Um, so an, a quick sort of background discussion. There is a, a concept out there called permissive hypotension, which some people advocate for for um, the management of patients having um, a hemorrhage. Now classically, this applies to patients with a leaking AAA or um, a penetrating trauma injury. The theory goes that um, if you have um, an area of injured tissue that is bleeding, like a leaking um, aorta, um, that before you um, before you have um, definitive surgery, the best strategy is to allow the patient to become relatively hypotensive, um, because in this state there is um, less um, bleeding from those vessels, and this allows the blood clot to form. And the counter argument is, if you allow the blood pressure to rise too high, that can dislodge whatever clot, blood clot has formed, and thus um, reinvigorate the bleeding process. Um, and so that is counterproductive. <coughs> so is this a safe strategy? Well, it's, it's open to debate. Um, it's obviously, if the patient is um, hypotensive, you, you're risking ischemia, um, especially if um, you um, get poor perfusion to important parts of the body like the heart and the brain, um, and the kidneys and um, liver and so forth, then um, you can cause harm. So it's a bit of a balancing act. I think in practical terms, the best um, advice is to just try and avoid hypertension um, and just aim for a low normal blood pressure. That's that's a relatively safe strategy and um, so that's usually what I aim for um, and I think that's probably what most people do. Um, what about hemodilution and over-resuscitation? So those, those are um, also a common complication of um, um, a transfusion in a bleeding situation is in fact the most common thing is over resuscitation not under resuscitation so excessive um, crystalloid fluids and excessive transfusion of blood is actually not that uncommon and um, transfusion associated circulatory overload or TACO is the, the most common um, adverse event that occurs um, from transfusion and from um, hemorrhage so sometimes the amount of blood loss that has occurred is hard, difficult to estimate and um, so we're just trying to try and get the sweet spot we don't want to leave patients um, hypovolemic but likewise we don't want to overreact and um, fill them up with too much um, because that can cause pulmonary edema not good and uh, certainly with um, the um, salt water and uh, and the like hemodilution which may also increase the tendency to bleed all right, take a deep breath. So, what about oxytocic drugs? So no discussion about pharmacological management or the anesthetic management of um, bleeding obstetric and gynecological patients can avoid this as a topic. Once again, we're not gonna be able, be able to go into a sort of deep dive here because um, this is a really big topic, but just gotta skim over the top of the important um, points. Um, I think that it is important to try and anticipate which patients are going to develop uterine atony. So, um, to some degree it is actually a predictable um, process. So the patients who are at risk, at high risk of uterine atony, are those patients who have been in labour for a long time um, and who have also received a lot of oxytocin during labour. Um, they are likely to have a tired uterine muscle and to some degree may be desensitized to oxytocin and thus have a poor response to oxytocin uh, drugs. 
don't forget other uh, other parturients who have um, some other risk factors like <coughs> uh, multiple gestation, you know, twins, triplets, or polyhydramnus. Some of those patients are going to bleed as well because the uterus has been distended um, to a greater degree. So oxytocin is the the first drug that is used most of the time. Um, if uh, if you're someone who likes carbitocin, that's good. Just remember, it's only actually licensed and has only been really studied in the elective um, caesarean population. Uh, and that patients who um, are poor responders to oxytocin are likely to be a poor responder to carbitocin as well. And in practical terms, it only really lasts for about 45 minutes. Ergometrin, a good drug to use if you think oxytocin is not going to work or hasn't worked. Contraindications include um, hypertensive crises and um, some potential for coronary vasospasm. So if you think patients uh, or whether your um, patient is at risk of those, then it might be wise to avoid it. Carboprost is the other u drug that is commonly utilised in a major haemorrhage um, being that is caused by uterine a &E. um, Once again, beware bronchospasm and uh, pulmonary hypertensive hypertension. But these are rare, so don't be afraid to use it if you should use it. Uh, misoprostol, I'm not sure if there's a lot of um, evidence for its use in acute bleeding, but you know, some of you out there may have um, read a bit more than I have. I certainly don't see it used a lot. Cell salvage. Now, Dr. Rutledge, I've got you lined up if you're listening uh, to do a really um, in-depth discussion of this for me. Uh, so, we'll so we'll just um, briefly cover a few salient points um, in this discussion. But cell salvage is something that... Sh um, can be used especially if you anticipate bleeding so placenta accretor surgery is the, is the best example um, but it can be used in um, non-elective cases as well if you've got um, a good setup and a good system in your hospital um, it's pretty easy to set up and um, start using uh, the certainly the collection um, equipment is only um, you know 60 to 120 seconds worth of time to set it up and chuck it over the drapes um, it's not as complicated as it looks. Basically you have a suction which has got some anticoagulant in it to stop the um, patient's blood from clotting and you just suck up the patient's blood into a reservoir which is mixed with that anticoagulant. When you've got enough, if you think you've collected enough, then you can um, put it through a machine which basically just washes it with saline and then uh, using a centrifuge it spins off all that saline and um, any of the um, stuff that needs washing out and you end up with a concentrated bag of red cells which you can put back into the patient. The advantage of using the patient's own red cells are that they're obviously easy to get because they're there. They're likely to work better because they haven't been um, stored for two or three weeks in a fridge and so they haven't undergone all the biochemical changes that stored blood does. So uh, that means that they are better at uh, taking up and offloading oxygen or, and transporting oxygen in the tissues. And of course, you're not exposing a patient to someone else's blood, and there are there there are certainly um, immunological and um, other um, implications of doing that, such as developing antibodies in the future, etc., and uh, um, immunosuppression. What are some of the controversies? Not going to go into detail here, but <coughs> since cell salvage has been used in obstetrics, there hasn't been any uh, documented cases of amniotic fluid embolism caused by the collection of um, uh, blood from um, obstetric patients and so it appears that it's real you know although it's possible it appears that it's going to be a relatively rare event 
some centres in the UK now use um, a single suction, so they don't even bother um, uh, collecting uh, amniotic fluid uh, in a separate suction system because um, they have done some laboratory studies which are reassuring in, in that the um, washing and processing um, in most cell salvage um, devices is so efficient that there is only a very minimal amount of amniotic fluid um, in the final product and it do actually doesn't appear that there's any real difference if you use one or two suctions. Um, cell salvage can be used in cancer, not sure uh, how often it is used uh, in gynecological cancer surgery but you certainly should consider it, especially if a patient has no other means of uh, red cell transfusion. Um, it is routinely used in urological cancer surgery such as um, large prostate or bladder surgery, uh, cancer surgery in the UK as actually a nice guideline recommendation. Um, there has been some study also of using cell salvage in vaginal bleeding so the theory or the concern there is um, you know the blood is passing through a non-sterile area and picking up bacteria along the way. Uh, there are case reports of people using it uh, in those situations um, with no obvious side effects and there have been some studies looking at um, the degree of bacterial contamination if you wash it and filter it um, like we normally do and although there are some bacteria that you can detect they are quite a low level so not a, it's not routinely used anywhere that I know of but it is certainly something you could use <coughs> alright coagulation another so another important thing is to try and maintain the patient's coagulation or hemostatic ability so as bleeding goes on um, there's depletion of um, many aspects of the hemostatic system and, and in some situations the patient can start off coagulopathic really early on for example abruption or help syndrome in obstetric patients uh, surgical patients can be have been exposed to anticoagulant drugs um, that sort of thing so all of that um, is really important really big topic we're not going to go into today today I do encourage you to perhaps um, if you're interested um, about the use of a rotum which is a viscoelastic test um, which we use uh, in our practice and seems to be more um, the viscoelastic testing is more commonly used now for management of coagulation and major hemorrhage um, go to the website uh, page there you can see the um, the um, page to click on and um, if you're interested or you want to learn more about that. Okay so in summary we've talked about um, all the different things that you can do. Um, at the end of the day it's a team effort. Um, um, if uh, if you work together you know um, so you can prioritize things um, probably the key things to um, do are this the surgical or the physical measures that are actually going to stop definitively stop the bleeding. Um, but you also want to support the patient's physiology and make sure that, that um, their blood will clot and that you can get them um, anaesthetized in a timely manner so the surgeons can do the um, definitive procedures. So communication is important. Hopefully um, this hasn't all been um, revision and you know all these things already. Um, hopefully there's um, something that I've piqued your interest with and you'll go away and... Um, learn a bit more about it and add another string to your bow. So thanks again for listening and look forward to the next uh, podcast. See you again next time.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandguinecritcare.org where there will be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.